Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. Conversations on key issues and new developments in financial services in Ireland. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Matheson Talks Financial Regulation. My name is Claire Scannell and I am the professional support lawyer to Matheson's Financial Institutions Group. I was recently joined on the podcast by my colleagues, partners, Darren Marr, Joe Beeshill, Neve Mulholland and Ina Mara where we discussed some of the key legal and regulatory developments of 2023, which impacted regulated financial service providers in Ireland. This episode is part of a four-part series derived from that original podcast. Today's episode considers the importance, as legal advisors, to take time out of our day-to-day work to attend industry events and indeed host events in order to meet with clients and engage with experts so as to understand the key pressure points for that industry and the likely areas of future development. All of our partners were involved in or attended such events throughout 2023. In this extract, we hear some of their key observations from those events, starting with Darren Marr, head of the Financial Institution Group, who comments on his attendance at the European Insurance Forum in October. So I had the, uh, the pleasure of interviewing Charles Bindemore, the CEO, global CEO of Intact, the Canadian Insurance Group, at the European Insurance Forum in October run by Insurance Ireland. We've been actively involved in participating and sponsoring that event for a number of years. So my discussion then with Charles Brindamore, he considers some of the key topics influencing the insurance industry, uh, many of which were explored further throughout the day. So to run down to them, one of the things he focused on was climate change. And his point was the current insurance model will have to adapt in order to remain viable. And climate adaptation will be key to ensuring that viability. There was a lot of discussion about direct consequences of protection gaps, and that's become it's an ongoing issue within the insurance industry and the challenge it presents to the well-being of our economy and society. And that's really where people have a policy. They believe it covers them in a particular way, and it simply doesn't cover them for whether that's flooding, uh, whether that's fire risks, and that presents a real problem for both businesses and homeowners. And it's something I think that regulators are really looking for insurers to consider. Cyber risk, as I think with every industry, was described as a massive threat to the insurance industry, but also interesting from the insurance industry perspective, a big opportunity, which it needs to come to terms with. And I think we're, we're a little bit away from that at the moment. The biggest talking point for me from the chat with Charles regards the influence and the current and projected influence of artificial intelligence on the insurance market. I think he, he made a point really well. We need to ensure there are safeguards in place, in particular for customers, policyholders, but also you don't want to stifle that progress of AI. Interestingly, Petra... Heikoma of the chair of EOPA recently said that as a supervisory authority, EOPA is technologically neutral, which I found interesting. So her point being that if the insurer fulfills the same requirements in accordance with regulations, EOPA doesn't care whether that's done on paper, an Excel spreadsheet or to get I to do it for them. However, EOPA have made a really good point, which I agree with, and that is if you do use AI and it goes wrong, how do you pull back from that? Uh, how do you do that in a way that the customer isn't impacted? I think this is something that we'll hear more of in 2024. Yeah. yeah. And Ian, did you see a similar trend on the AI front? Yeah, hugely clear during 2023. I guess AI was, you know, the big conference talking point throughout the calendar year. But, you know, having listened to plenty of talks on AI over the last seven months, what are the key things I think to take away? I think it's that, AI is going to be a, a presence of financial institutions models in the years to come. But the best way I've heard it described is, you know, AI is something you co-pilot with. You don't just let it off and do its own thing. A lot of the concerns and fears around 
the technology are driven by it losing control, it not being auditable, it running away without human oversight. And I think financial institutions probably have the best governance frameworks compared to some other sectors to be able to integrate technologies like AI into their business models, but at the same time managing the risks because they're well used to having sophisticated risk management frameworks. So, you know, it's very interesting to see where that goes. You know, there's also a lot of discussion at political level in the EU around new AI laws. There's an AI Act and a, an AI Liability Act. And, uh, you know, remains to be seen where exactly those end up. But I think it's going to be a very interesting area in terms of unlocking new technologies, minimizing, say, consumer risks. You know, you could imagine AI being used to mitigate fraud and, you know, having better transaction monitoring tools and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's a very interesting area. But I think, you know, we're still only at the starting point of that journey. The other area I would say that has been very interesting is the use of new new technologies to do, say, AML processes. There's a lot of new technology that helps do things like customer onboarding, transaction monitoring. And what we saw during 2023 was a lot of new guidance come out from regulators as to how firms should monitor and assess those tools and also make sure that they're properly embedded into their risk management frameworks. So I think the digitalization of financial services is going to continue apace in 2024. Thanks, Ian. And Joe, you did the circuit out of a couple of conferences. Anything particular that you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the we sponsor the Federation of International Banks in Ireland, or FIBI, conference every year. And um, I was struck by the conference this year with something that I haven't seen for a while, which was, which is a bit of optimism, strangely enough. We had a very great lineup of speakers, including very senior people from the ECB, and of course, they did speak about the Silicon Bank failure. And I mean, I remember at the time after the 08, 09 kind of crash and all the various measures put in place, thinking, well, all the measures are in place, so surely banks won't fail then. And obviously the US did something similar, but clearly Silicon Bank did fail and there's been other issues, if you like. But, but I think what was interesting there was actually the reflection that the contagion that uh, was a clear risk didn't actually happen. Mm-hmm. And then Credit Suisse obviously uh, had its issues and ended up getting taken over by UBS, as everyone knows, which is in Europe, obviously not in the EU. And similarly, the the, the fear of, of a contagion that I remember well at the time, uh, everybody sort of getting a bit jittery, is this going to, how is this going to affect European banks, didn't materialise. So I think the legislative framework that was put in place after the last big crisis and the uh, supervisory action that was taken to deal with these sort of uh, mini crises meant that it kind of worked, if you like. And it was great to see that there was a bit of optimism that the system worked. And there wasn't, I think, compared to say complacency that nothing can ever happen again. But that was a good thing, right? There's no point in saying it wasn't, it was a good thing. But then I would say it was interesting, contrasting perhaps to what Neve said a moment ago in relation to competition in retail banks. On the international bank side, there was a level of optimism about increasing the number of banks and reflecting on the success of the those institutions in Ireland. Now, a lot, of course, benefited from Brexit and, and are, are boosting up their business models post-Brexit. Obviously, interest rate environment is more favourable for them in terms of uh, making money and so on. But for the first time in a long time, there was talk of, you know, we need to double the number of banks and how do we get there in a number of years and so on. And, and I think I think that was great. And, and I'd say a contrast to previous years, if I can call it that. Thanks, Joe. Uh, and we might keep the conferences and themes which emerged from them, Nave and uh, 
the central bank's financial systems conference was a really important conference for everybody in the sector. But there was a lot of focus on the role of non-bank financial institutions during that. And I suppose the regulation or maybe more accurately, the lack thereof. Yeah, non-bank financial institutions or when you're around as long as I am, the return of the bait on shadow banking. So this has been around for quite a while. And in fairness, again, Central Bank have been looking at this quite specifically for quite a period of time. Why? Because Ireland actually is a centre um, and a global centre for for non-bank financial institutions. So we're very much front and centre in uh, in this debate from a regulatory side, but also from a, from a commercial side. So, you know, probably worth taking a step back and say, you know, what actually, what's the concern? Right? What, what's happening here that's saying there is lending happening, but it's not regulated, which is kind of a, a dangerous sentence um, to use. But shadow banking discusses the activity, if you like, or bank-like activity that takes place outside the traditional banking centre. So there is, the lending is similar, customers are similar. However, the regulation is not the same. That's not to say that there is none, but it is not the same as a very intensive, potentially heavy CRD, CRR world, right? So who's involved in this? You're talking about money market funds, you're talking about finance companies, you're talking about entities operating through special purpose vehicles. And if you take one of the investment funds, they will take, you know, yours, mine, Joe's and Darren's money as investors. They will give us units or shares in that fund and they'll take the money and they'll use it to go and buy bonds or securities, right? And in that way, they're providing a lending service to that company. And there is an advantage here. And I think it's fair to say that in all the debates, the advantage is called out and that is in line with and complementary to the idea of capital markets union. So certainly in the post-financial crisis era, in the more positive legislative initiatives that have been taken, there is this idea that Projects need financing. That financing is not always going to come from the retail banking or institutional banking arena. And that's a good thing. And we should actually try and effect the change of European savings to European capital for the general growth of Europe in general and the benefit of its citizens. So there's certainly a key role on the positive side for non-bank financial institutions to play there. However, there is then always the worry that we would go through some sort of a systemic shock, as we saw um, in the banking crisis and otherwise. And what you don't want, and I think this is one of the points that came up in the conference, is an imbalance. So you don't want a highly regulated, intrusive banking sector and an impression that the non-bank sector is unregulated, right? So they are regulated under fund rules and fund laws. And as I said, there is a classic debate about banks, lenders, principals and funds, lenders, agents, and that's you know, a really heavy intellectual policy debate. But what's the nuts and bolts of it? Well, as I said, Ireland is the second largest centre for non-bank financial institutions. So there's no doubt in my mind that this debate will continue and will continue apace. It is too intrinsic to the end of the banking package, the growth of capital markets union, not to be on the policy table. And there's certainly a dichotomy between those regulators that are trained in the banking sector and those and who haven't got exposure to the asset management sector and the capital market sector. And it probably is time for, you know, the proper look at how that sector is regulated, how it functions, what the risks are, systemic and otherwise, in order that you do achieve the balance that was talked about at the conference. We hope that has given you a flavour of some of the key messages arising from industry events last year. And we look forward to attending and supporting such events throughout 2024. And for the best way for our listeners to keep up to date on legal and regulatory developments throughout 2024, check out the Financial Institutions Group's weekly top five at five email. 
Fig's Top 5 at 5 is a complimentary weekly subscription service where our subject matter experts highlight five of the previous week's key financial services developments. If you're not subscribed and you would like to be, please reach out to myself and we will have you added to that list. In the meantime, thanks for listening. Join us next time on Maths and Talks Financial Regulation. Thanks for listening to Maths and Talks Financial Regulation. For more information on issues raised in this podcast or for any general queries, you can contact claire.scannell at matheson.com or visit our website at matheson.com.